Um, good morning. My name is Landre, a member of the church here. And I'm Nifmi, his son, and I did actually go on the camp that Matthew was talking about. It's like, it's so good. I can't recommend it highly enough. <laughs> right. Our Bible reading this morning is from Judges chapter 9. That's on page 251 in the church Bibles. So Judges chapter 9, page 251. And we will be reading through from verses 1 to 25 on page 252, and also verses 50 to 56 on page 253. So Judges chapter 9, page 251 from verse 1. Abimelech, son of Jerubal, went to his mother's brothers in Shechem and said to them and to all his mother's clan, Ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you? to have 70 of Jeroboam's sons rule over you, or just one man. Remember, I am your flesh and blood. When the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is related to us. They gave him 70 shekels of, shekels of silver from the temple of Balberis, and Abimelech used it to hire reckless scoundrels who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Ophrah, and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jerubal. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubal, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Bethmelo gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king. When Jotham was told about this, he climbed up on the top of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them, Listen to me. Citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. One day, the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, Be our king. But the olive tree answered, Should I give up my oil, by which both gods and humans are honored, to hold sway over the trees? Next, the tree said to the fig tree, Come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, Should I give up my fruit, so good and sweet, to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, Come and be our king. But the vine answered, Should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and humans, to hold sway over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to the, the thornbush, Come and be our king. The thornbush said to the trees, If you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thornbush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Have you acted honorably and in good faith by making Abimelech king? Have you been fair to Jerobal and his family? Have you treated him as he deserves? Remember that my father fought for you and risked his life to rescue you from the hand of Midian. But today you have revolted against my father's family. You have murdered his 70 sons on a single stone and have made Abimelech, the son of his female slave, the king, king over the citizens of Shechem, because he is related to you. So have you acted honorably and in good faith toward Jerobal and his family today? If you have, may Abimelech be your joy and may you be his too. But if you have not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham fled, escaping to Beer, and he lived there because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. After Abimelech had governed Israel for three years, God stirred up animosity between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem so that they acted treacherously against Abimelech. 
God did this in order that the crime against Jerubal's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem, who had helped him murder his brothers. In opposition to him, the citizens of Shechem set men on the hilltops to ambush and rob everyone who passed by, and this was reported to Abimelech. Now we move to verse 50 to 56 on page 253. Next, Abimelech went to Thebes and besieged it and captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower to which all the men and women, all the people of the city had fled. They had locked themselves in and climbed up on the tower roof. Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Hurriedly, he called to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and kill me, so that they can't say a woman killed him. So his servant ran, ran him through, and he died. When the Israelites saw the Abimelech, that Abimelech was dead, they went home. Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. And Chris now will bring um, the sermon. Thank you. Are you ready for this? Thank you for reading so well. Well, a couple of weeks ago, um, I said that the book of Judges was quite good to dramatize. And uh, we had a stealthy woman who hammered a tent peg into a melon. And I said to Sally, why don't you get 70 melons for this week? Um, but she didn't think that was a very good idea. Um, yes, it's a pretty gory story that we've just read. And it ends with another assassination and another woman doing the dirty deed. And my job is to explain how that's relevant for us to today. Well, the scene of the action is very important. Southampton and London are strategic and important places of historical significance here in England. And Shechem was in Israel. Shechem was where God appeared to Abraham to tell him, this is the land I promised to give you. And Abraham built an altar in Shechem to worship the Lord. This was also the place, Shechem, where Joshua had gathered the children of Abraham to praise God for entry into the promised land. So historically, uh, geographically, Shechem is the spiritual center and thermometer of Israel. But what happens here in Shechem is a disaster with a three-year reign of terror. So we're going to split our time into three. We're going to look at Abimelech's purge, Jotham's prophecy, and Shechem's punishment. And I am going to get some people to help me to dramatize it, to make it accessible. First of all, Abimelech's purge, verses 1 to 6. Now, every leader in the book of Judges so far has been called by God without seeking the role. But Abimelech grasps it for himself. And he goes to his mothers and brothers, and he points out that he is the son of his father Gideon, who had made himself like a king. And his argument, Abimelech's argument, is that it's better to have one ruler than 70. And the men of Shechem agree. And so they give him 
70 shekels of silver from the temple of a pagan god. And so his rule is built on, is facilitated by false gods, but it's also founded on the blood of his half-brothers, 70 of whom he kills on one stone. Gideon had killed his fellow Israelites, and now Abimelech murders his own family. All through the ages, dictators have effected purges in their reigns of terror. Abimelech has a three-year reign of terror. There was a great purge known as the Great Terror uh, that was under the rule of Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin, also three years, in which he killed at least 750,000 people through execution, some as young as 12. A million others he sent to living deaths in gulags. Purges in Eastern Europe, Central Asia, China, under Mao Zedong, probably the worst, Uganda, Cambodia, North Korea, Spain under Franco, Germany under Hitler, are just a few. Our world and our history as a human race is littered with such tales of terror as this. And as Ros was pointing out at the beginning, the peoples of the world cry out for a just Messiah. Jesus builds a kingdom far greater than any empire, but it's not founded on force. It's founded on love and peace. Let me give you words from a French dictator who spread fire throughout Europe at the turn of the 19th century. Napoleon says this about Jesus. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon sheer force, Jesus Christ alone founded his empire on love. And at this moment, millions of men will die for him. So dictators like Abimelech, like Stalin, like Putin, like Caesar, rule out of fear, out of narcissism, out of violence. But Psalm 45 describes a coming Messiah, a Messiah for Israel and all nations who will be anointed with the oil of joy. Eugene Peterson in the message translates it as, he was the happiest man alive. That's Jesus, the happiest man alive. No purges with Jesus. This is what Isaiah the prophet, speaking 600 years before Jesus, prophesying the coming of a servant Messiah, says, he will not shout out or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed. He will not put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. And even the distant lands beyond the sea will put their hope in him, Isaiah 42. The only purge that Jesus will effect will be at the end of time when all corruption, all violence, all curse, all mourning, all crying, all death will be purged from the earth forever. Abimelech's purge, verses one to six. But next we have Jotham's prophecy. Only one half-brother escapes the great terror, the great purge, and his name is Jotham. And Jotham climbs up to Mount Gerizim, 
and he calls out to the men of Shechem. Don't follow Abimelech. It will only ruin you. And so he declares a parable. And then we have the parable explained. So verses 8 to 15 in the text is the parable declared. Jotham declares a parable to show the ridiculousness of choosing this man, Abimelech, as king. He uses trees as illustrations. The olive tree, verses 8 to 9. The fig tree, verses 10 to 11. And vines, verses 12 to 13, were valuable and produced the main crops of the agricultural economy. But these trees say, no, we don't want to be king. They pass on it. And finally, they ask a thorn bush to be king. Abimelech is the thorn bush king. What is a thorn bush good at doing? Not providing shade, but catching fire and spreading fire. And so all the trees ask the thorn bush, come and be our king. But these thorn bushes are short and scraggy. They don't provide any shade from the heat. They often catch fire. They're less valuable than these other trees. But Jotham predicts that making Abimelech king will result in fire and destruction and devastation. And so Jotham explains the parable in verses 16 to 20. And basically, he says this. If you've been fair to Gideon's family in making a king, and let's face it, you haven't, then maybe you find great blessing in the rule of King Abimelech. But if you haven't, and let's face it, you haven't, then I hope you and he get what you deserve and you get burned up by him and he gets burned up by you. Let fire come out from Abimelech and consume you and let fire come out from you and consume Abimelech. Yeah, last week the Chinese government said something similar when Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan. And Nancy Pelosi was supporting Taiwan and the Chinese government said, those who play with fire will get burned. And that's what Jotham is saying to the people. Those who play with fire get burned. And so we move on to Shechem's punishment, which is really uh, from verse 22 to 57. And what follows is a raging fire. Here's the structure of the text. Can you see the repetition of the word fire? Fire from the men of Shechem, fire from Abimelech, fire from Thebes, and fire from God. Let's just go through them. The citizens of, uh, of Shechem have already shown themselves prone to switch loyalty. And so when Gael, the son of Ebed, moves into Shechem in verses 30 to 41, all the citizens of Shechem now put their confidence in this, this guy, Gael. And he rises up against Abimelech. And this is what Gael says in uh, verse 29. Abimelech, I stand against you. Why should we serve Abimelech? I will defeat him. And he says, if only all the people were under my command. And then Abimelech and Gael face off. And as they do, they, they spread fire disastrously, and their armies fight, and Abimelech wins, and Gael falls dead. 
then um, Abimelech seeks to spread fire against Shechem, the people that have made him king. And so he massacres the Shechemites, verses 42 to 45, and he destroys the city of Shechem, leaving it a scorch mark on the earth. So this place where Abraham and Joshua had worshipped the Lord ends up barren with salt scattered over it so no crops can be grown. And then uh, Abimelech goes to a stronghold, verses 46 to 49. On hearing this, the citizens in the tower of Shechem went into a stronghold of the temple of El Berith. And when Abimelech heard that they had assembled there, he and all his men went up to Mount Zalmon, and he took an axe and cut off some branches, which he lifted to his shoulders, and he ordered the men with him, quick, do what you've seen me do. So all the men cut branches and followed Abimelech, and they piled them against the stronghold and set it on fire with the people still inside. So all the people in the tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women also died. So there was fire against the stronghold, and then fire in Thebes. It looks as if the town of Thebes will suffer the same fate. So Abimelech goes to Thebes and besieged it, verse 56, 50, and captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower to which all the men and women, all the people of the city had fled. And they locked themselves in and climbed up on the tower roof. Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. It fractured his skull, but Abimelech calls for a man to run him through so that a woman won't have killed him. And there Abimelech falls. And we read through the narrator that all this had come about through God's will. We see fire from God, verses 56 to 57. Thus, God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the people of Shechem pay for all their wickedness. And the curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came on them. What a mess, folks. Fire and violence, decreation and death. It's the exact opposite of the creation mandate to go into all the world and to, uh, to, to flourish. Um, it's decreation rather than creation. It's death rather than flourishing. What's God's role in all of this? In actual fact, the... the the name of God is not mentioned. So in, in Judges, we have the covenant name, the Lord, Yahweh. But in this passage, just a couple of times, it's, it's a different name given for God. And so that's between actually chapter 8, verse 34, and chapter 10, verse 6. And I think the writer does that to give us a picture of a society where everybody wants to push the true God out. And they've broken covenant with Yahweh. And they want to be rid of him completely. And yet all the time we read that God is acting both in judgment 
and in grace. Judgment, there wasn't any lightning from heaven, but there was God's justice and wrath. God's wrath is his settled, consistent hostility to everything that's evil. It's good, it's good. It's good that God is just. It's good that he is a consuming fire and that he will burn up all evil. But folks, his wrath is a subset of his love. God is love. And for that reason, he hates injustice and violence. This all reminds me of Genesis 6-5, the time before the flood, where it says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And we see this cycle repeated and repeated in Judges as it seems to get worse and worse. Yet God in his wrath, sometimes he gives people over to this, as we read about in Romans chapter 1. And yet God is also acting in grace, because what we see in this part of the book of Judges is that Israel needs saving not just from the enemies, the Philistines and the Ammonites and the Canaanites and the otherites, but it needs saving from itself, herself. And so in chapter 10, God in grace raises up leaders to save the nation from herself. So folks, Israel and the world and you and I need a Messiah to save us from the fires of destructive corruption. The human race is a history of war and oppression and abuse of power that continues to this day all over the world. The human race needs a Messiah who can show how to lead out of love and service, not out of force and violence. Why are we disgusted at the violence that we read about in the book of Judges? Why does it seem so foreign to us? You know, Julius Caesar slaughtered a million Gauls, and he came back into Rome, and the Romans loved him for it. He boasted about it. He took another million slaves. And the Romans loved him for it. The Romans loved violence. It was a spectator sport. If you wanted to watch sport in the Roman world, you'd watch beasts and men tearing each other apart. But our attitudes have changed completely because of Jesus Christ. We hate violence because we've been influenced by a servant king who came anointed with this oil of joy. One who came to bring life out of death, flourishing, not destruction. And he was the most compassionate, loving person who ever lived. And he gives shade to all who trust in him. We might be familiar with the idea, you see, that God loves the world. But that would be an utterly ridiculous concept in ancient times. To seek glory and greatness through force and through war was the very meaning of existence. But Jesus, the true king, was a tortured victim who took the form of a slave. When that Roman centurion plunged a spear into Jesus' side, at one end was imperial power. At the other end was an innocent victim of justice. But which would you say had true power? In Jesus Christ at the cross, 
we see love at full strength, the highest ruler plunging to the deepest depths to embrace the world, and in peacemaking sacrifice with arms outstretched even to his enemies. This is what it looks like to be God. This is your God. Jesus took the fires of God's judgment so that we can be shaded and soothed and saved. He was purged so that we can be rescued and brought in. But folks, there's not just fire out there. There's fire in here. Guy Fawkes was found on November the 5th, 1605, with 56 barrels of gunpowder trying to blow up the Houses of Parliament. But there is gunpowder in all of us, in all our hearts. I meant to bring the, uh, the newspaper I'd cut out about Ryan Giggs, front of the newspaper, this week said, I'm so effing angry, I could do anything. Do you ever feel like that? There's gunpowder in each of our hearts waiting for a spark. And that's why each of us also needs a savior. Where do we see Jesus in this passage today? Because when we read from the Old Testament, Jesus, Jesus himself says, it speaks about me. Where do we see Jesus? We see him by way of contrast. Everything that we've looked at in the passage today is ugly. Everything about Jesus is beautiful. And by beautiful, I mean beautiful in his character. It was the old Puritan John Owen who spoke about the beauty of Jesus in this way. Lovely in his person, lovely in his birth and incarnation, lovely in the whole course of his life, lovely in his death, lovely in his whole employment, lovely in his glory and majesty, lovely in all these supplies of God's grace, lovely in all the tender care, power, and wisdom, lovely in the pardon that he has purchased, altogether lovely. Folks, much in our world is ugly. Even in our own country, since 2007 and eight, we've been in one crisis after another. The financial crisis, the austerity crisis, the Brexit crisis, the refugee crisis, the COVID crisis, the mental health crisis arising out of the COVID crisis, the Ukraine crisis, and now another cost of living crisis. We need a beautiful Messiah to root us and ground us in love in these times of crises. And his name is Jesus, and he's the only Messiah there is. So come to him this morning. If you're watching on the screen, come to Jesus this morning to find shade and soothing. You might have sought it in many different places, in many different ways, but nobody soothes and shades like Jesus. He is the shade that you need against the harsh sun of life. Jesus is the shade you need against the wrath of God, against sin in this world. So come to him, come to Jesus without anything of your own, any righteousness of your own, come to Jesus, embrace him as he embraces you.